This is the fourth of a four-part series about the Forminim. The Forminim, a very, very interesting and intriguing group of floral species, snatched from nature, obviously unique, indigenous to Eretz Yisrael, not exclusive to Eretz Yisrael, but certainly preponderant, easily accessible in Eretz Yisrael, as the Rambam noted. Chazal mentioned Shlomo's attempt to probe the symbolism of the Dalad Minim. Shlomo was unable to. Chazal suggests various forms of imageries and symbolisms to account for why these four Minim are selected. In the first year, I spoke about employing the four Minim as a return to Gan Eden, recognizing that with the fall of man, nature also fell, and that Esrog, in particular, is the fruit amongst all the fruits that is most reminiscent of the state of affairs in Gan Eden, and the Sukkot's return to Gan Eden. In the second shear, I spoke about the divine theological symbolisms of the various minim. In a very provocative way, Chazal say that each of these four elements evoke a different facet of Akadosh Baruch Hu's presence in this world. And the es, uh, excuse me, and the hadasim evoke Hakadosh Baruch Hu's promises, which are forestalled sometimes in history, but always are fulfilled. Reminiscent of that prophecy in Zechariah Perak Aleph, in which the prophet sees a strange man on a red horse, separated by a hedge of hadasim, unable to speak or contact this person directly because he is divided from his prophetic potential. The prophetic potential takes some time to unfurl, but ultimately will be fulfilled. In the third year, I spoke about the four Minim and their role in facilitating our tfilos. In particular, the Arava, which is so, so to speak, feeble, weak, unimpressive, embarrassing, no fruit, no aroma, easy to wilt. Chazal tell us it refers either to Yosef or to Rachel, each of whom died early, prematurely, and precisely because they have nothing they feel nothing deserving, so to speak. There's no entitlement. That tefillah is humble. That tefillah is true, because you realize your true non-deservedness. And that's why Chazal talk about an Arava as resembling the lips of a human being, and whose piha, whose mouth is chalak, is straight. The men that I didn't describe yet, and I want to elaborate a bit upon in this fourth shear, is, of course, the towering lulav. The Pasuk in Shir Hashirim already highlights the metaphoric meaning of a lulav. Zos komasech, the male, or HaKadosh Baruch Hu, tells the female, or Amisol, this is your height. Damsa litamar. You are likened to a date tree from which a lulav is taken, of which the lulav is the apogee, or the zenith of a tamar tree. Zos komasech, gamsa litamar. You may recognize these words from the Hoshanos, in the very famous section of Om Anichoma, 
which describes the defiance and the faith of the Jewish people throughout history, submitting themselves to suffering, to execution, to discrimination, rather than capitulating and forfeiting their faith. Zos komasech damsa letamar. Shlomo sees, and Chazal elaborate this, Shlomo, in embedding this image in Shir Hashirim, in the tall, skyscraping-like nature of a day tree, of the lulav of a day tree. Tall, defiance, indomitability, straight-vectored, unflinching commitment, lev echad lavim shabash shamayim, unwillingness to bow, Zaus komasech damsa litamar. Interestingly enough, Am Yisrael's willingness to defy all challenges to their faith, even at the point of death, as evidenced by the tall, defiant structure of the lulav, corresponds to another set of imagery pertaining a different element of the lulav. The Torah wants us to take a kapos timarim. Now, why the Torah describes kapos timarim, the leaves of a lulav, should be, what's the word? The leaves should be not just attached, but should be integrated, should be bound. If you look carefully at a lulav, a lulav is composed of Many leaves, the bottom of which reaches, or the top of one, reaching the bottom of the next most layer. If you've seen date trees, if the lulav remains on the tree too long, those leaves will actually spread out to resemble a fan. The lulav has to be harvested and employed before the leaves spread to create that fan-like structure. It's a kapos timarim, where the leaves are threaded onto each other, tied and bound, rather than spread and extended. In fact, according to one position in the Gemara, even if the leaves haven't spread out to the fan-like structure, they still must be tied down so that the full kapos timarim effect is realized. Chazal sensed in this word kapos, bound and tied, a reference, a symbolism, an association to a different one of our avos, to Yitzchak Avinu, who was bound and tied, was fastened upon the Mizbeach at Haramoria, who was kafus al HaMizbeach, kafut al HaMizbeach. Yitzchak was the first person in Jewish history to die, quote-unquote, al-Kiddush Hashem. He didn't because he was spared in the final moment by Kaddish Baruch Hu, but for all practical purposes he was because he was willing to, he was prepared to. So whether it's the bound nature of the lulav that represents Yitzchak's commitment and devotion, or the towering structure of the tamar tree, of the lulav at the center, the apogee, conveyed by Shlomo HaMelech, Zos Komasech Damsa Litamar, the lulav represents Am Yisrael's unflinching devotion strong, unwavering commitment, defiance of historical challenge in defense of their faith of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
the proud, defiant nature of the lulav, of the palm branch, also represents not just defiance, a foreign threat, but victory. Ancient coins, ancient archaeology, demonstrates that when people would emerge victorious from a war or from a legal wrangle or a legal situation, to demonstrate the victory, they would march and they would hold a tall palm branch to demonstrate triumph so that those around could see and recognize and appreciate, become informed of their triumph. What triumph is our lulav representing? Well, Chazal tell us that the lulav and all the Dalad Minim must be seen in the context of the Yamim Naraim. Even though the Torah itself makes no mention of this correlation, the connection is unavoidable. We all went to battle over the past month, battling for our lives, battling for our future, davening desperately to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to be inscribed in the Sefer HaChaim. And although these were days of solemnity and gravitas, of fear and trembling, there was an inner confidence, a poise, a quiet tranquility that HaKadosh Baruch Hu answers the tefillos of his people, remembers the covenant of our forefathers, and grants us all of our wishes and the atonement that we sought so desperately in Yom Kippur. And Chazal tell us that after this battle has been waged, we are meant to express our confidence in our triumph. And that expression of confidence is punctuated by hoisting a lulav. That's why all the minim are called lulav, because it's the tallest and most dominant, even though it's really a bouquet of a lulav, surrounded or encased by hadasim and aravos. So it's not just the defiance of historical challenge that the tall lulav represents, but the victory and triumph in the post yamim Narayim environment. Then there's another imagery associated with the lulav. Chazal mentioned that each of these minim represent a different body part, and of course the subjugation and employment of that body part towards religious consciousness and avodah Hashem. Most of the body parts are familiar to us. The lulav, excuse me, the esrog represents the human heart. So many psukim speak about turning your heart towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Hadassim resemble human eyes. So many Ipsukim speak about wandering eyes, jealous eyes. The Arava Chazal tell us resemble, as I mentioned in part three, lips. So many Ipsukim, so many imageries in Chazal speak about lips, prayer, speech. The Lulav, we all know the body part Chazal associated with, but it's a very strange body part that doesn't truly appear in too many contexts and within too many systems of religious identity building. The Lulav Chazal tell us represent a human spine. That's a very, very odd image. 
Torah doesn't really mention the human spine in terms of human development. In fact, it is not easily or readily apparent what emotion or human attitude the spine represents. The heart, the esrog, represents emotion. The eyes, curiosity, interest, investigation, lips, communication, prayer, spine, well, in part, it represents human activity. The human spine controls all the human activity. And it's not enough to sublimate thought, emotions, visuals, conversation, but to express religious devotion and action. The heart of religion, of Judaism, is not just belief and value, but action and mitzvahs. Even, ironically, when mitzvahs are not buttressed by corresponding thought, Chazal Paskin mitzvahs ain't tzichas kavana, even if a person has no intention to fulfill a mitzvah. The act itself is meaningful. The act itself has content. There's a phrase I use very often with Talmidim in Yeshiva. You have to fake it to make it. Very often we perform mitzvahs or other forms of religious activity without full, authentic, or genuine thought, emotion, conviction. But the process conditions us and ultimately becomes internalized. So the lulav reminds us that even if the other aspects of human attitude are not fully converted, action directed, activity directed by the human spine is valuable. But there's something deeper about the spine lulav imagery. A spine is what makes a person a human being. Standing upright, veterate. A human being is the only creature that has a spine strong enough to support full-time walking on two legs. It's not just the spine, the overall anatomy, but the way that the human spine, that's a uniquely human anatomical part. Even though many animals have a spine, it isn't shaped in the way that supports walking on two feet. Chazal sensed this on two occasions. In the Zohar, there's a description of how far a person has to bow for modim. And the Zohar says, Until most of the components of the spine, most of the vertebrae, are bent. Modim is a demonstration of submission, acceptance of authority, of taking the human autonomy and freedom and subjecting it to the divine will. So the body part that most closely resembles the spine is meant to be bowed. The Mishnah tells us that if a skeleton is found in a structure, and we know that if a dead body, if flesh and meat is found in a structure, it could convey tumma even without physical contact to any other object that's found in that same structure. That is referred to as Tumas Ohel. What if bones are found without any flesh or meat? Will it convey Tuma? Will it be considered a human body? And the Mishnah says if most of the spine is found in the same structure, then a human body has been identified. A human body exists. The spine is a symbol, is an icon 
for a human being. And by reminding us that the lulav resembles the spine, Chazal are demanding, on the one hand, that we take our humanity and subject it to our Kaddish Baruch Hu's praise, but ultimately it should resemble a spine. Though religion demands submission, it also demands retaining our human identity and in some ways exploiting, advancing, enhancing who we are as humans. HaKadosh Baruch Hu delivered to humanity so many talents and traits, freedom of choice, emotions, soul, dreams, everything that makes us humans as apart from animals. And by developing our humanity within an overall rubric of religious growth, our service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu can be deepened and amplified. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants spines, so to speak, to worship Him. He wants tall spines. He wants human beings that have accentuated who they are and developed their human faculties. And once those faculties are developed and directed towards the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that service is rendered as deeper and more profound. And this is why the spine imagery of Lulav is so unique and so important to round out and complement or complete the imagery of the four minim. All the other elements correspond to emotional, emotion-based human organs whose religious function is well documented. The eyes, the mouth, the lips, the heart. The spine is very unique to the lulav. These are some of the unique imageries of the lulav. The tall, defiant placement, positioning of the palm branch, representing Am Yisrael's unwavering commitment to Hashem despite devastating odds. The binding of the leaves, representing Yitzchak's binding on Haramoria. The tall lulav of triumph, announcing the confidence that we've emerged from Yamim Narayim with a victorious, beneficial sentencing. And finally, the lulav representing a spine, spine being a symbol for humans being able to walk upright, but not just to walk upright in terms of mobility and gait, but to function in so many aspects and areas which animals do not function, to develop those talents and potentials that HaKadosh Baruch Hu empowered us with so that our service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be lulav-like, will be based, by, will be based on a spine-like, strong, eccentric human human-developed personality sublimated towards the service of a Kurdish Baruch.